Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have three very special guests, people I've done a lot of great work with, great shows with, and it's uh, Tom and Brett from PSYOP Cinema. We've done 14 shows, so you can go back and look at those. And then also Sean McCann of Wake the Dead. We've done at least 13 shows. We've covered a lot of great stuff. Eyes Wide Shut, Rosemary's Baby, which I referenced recently in this weird uh, interview between Tucker Carlson and Kevin Spacey, where there's a test rack literally right in front of, in between them on a pillow. Like, it's super occultic. And not a lot of people figured that out. I probably wouldn't have figured it out if I hadn't done the shows with Sean. So, uh, but, so these kind of occult symbols and a lot of these esoteric meanings and things like that are, are relevant. And a lot of uh, intellectuals, thinkers, I think make a mistake of overlooking them or maybe it's not fashionable or it's not part of the politics to reveal this type of stuff. But we're going to look into today this recent film that came out in 2023 on Netflix. Title of it is Leave the World Behind. It's directed by Sam Esmail, E-S-M-A-I-L. But it was interesting because it was the production company was Obama. It was uh, Michelle and Barack Obama. And they were involved in, I was reading journalistic articles the last couple of days where it's pretty evident that he was involved in talking to Sam Ismail about the directing, and Sam Ismail's also done Mr. Robot. But uh, the subtitle of the movie is There's No Going Back to Normal. So normalcy's gone. I think we can tell normalcy's gone in the general culture. So there clearly are overlaps between this film. There's a lot to talk about, but uh, I'm glad to have these guys back. They're great. So welcome back to the show, Thomas, Sean, and Brett. Thank you. So, yeah. So for people, uh, maybe we can just jump into it. When did you guys see this movie? What was the impact? Who wants to start? And then we can just kind of do some preliminaries. Maybe somebody wants to do a background. I can. It's based upon a book that was published in 2020 by Ruman Alam. And supposedly the film is true to the book. I've not read the book, but the book was very, it was a bestseller. It still is a bestseller. And uh, I mean, the basic premise for people who haven't seen the film it's basically a family. The mother uh, wants to rent a uh, house on Long Island for a weekender. And so she goes out there with the two kids. And then something happens in New York City. The power goes out. And then um, the real owners come back. And it's like uh, the first family is white. The two, the owners who come back are black. And so then kind of sets off and there's all kinds of weird things happening there's a bunch of deer that show up and it's very vague and it ends actually kind of like in a kind of vague ending as well but uh that's a gen my general overview but maybe you guys can add to that i'd say it's not as vague as we might think it's pretty direct uh they like the the opening uh, uh, Julia Roberts' opening monologue is very direct to the point, and they zoom in on her face, like chunk, 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 and like, and then she just recites the satanic mantra of like, you know, the eugenicists that want to call the earth, um, and then that, and then the, the movie begins there. What's so, the mantra that she recites? She says, uh, she's she said like as the sun rose and hit her. She's looking down on all the people from her window going about their little world and trying to make something of this world. And she wanted, she's so glad to be a part of that. But then she realized, I effing hate people.
people oh, right. they zoom right in. And that's, you know, the, uh, the light of the sun, uh, Lucifer, son of the morning, hits her brain and she thinks of this like, I hate people. And that's like what Lucifer thinks, right? I mean, he wants to extinguish us. So I don't know if I'm getting too deep there, but, uh, you know, that's kind of where I want to start. No, not, not looking at through the whole film. I don't, I don't think so. Well, I, I mean, I took that as that's the NWO speaking directly to the audience, essentially, like how much longer shall we suffer? You know, you people, you're not going along with the endless crisis psyops. You're going to keep resisting. And so, yeah, we're threatening to go to the next level. I mean, this is psychological warfare against the American public, and it's getting so blatant, you know. But so, yeah, that was my read of that speech is that's just their statement right off the off the bat. Right. We hate you. Go away. Go home and die. Thomas, we can't, I can't hear Thomas. So. Thomas, for some reason, your audio is not working. Um, His audio is not working. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I missed that. Is, like, it, is he on Firefox? Is that, uh, is Firefox a problem? For you? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, all that I was going to add on to what we were saying about the, um, to what we were saying about uh, the, the, those initial lines is that it's interesting to kind of track the character arcs in the film with regard to this misanthropic attitude, because a lot of what fascinates me about um, about Leave the World Behind is the, the Mahershala Ali character, G.H., as an Obama narrative self-insert. Well, like, once you view the movie like that, like, everything kind of falls into place, and uh, and his character is not promoting that kind of misanthropic attitude. It's this kind of limp humanitarian, let's all come together stuff that Obama largely promoted in his kind of, in his ideological approach as a statesman. And so it's it's interesting because you the movie is kind of pushing that message in both directions. And you, you have this idea of, well, we have to all kind of come together because there are so many hateful people in America who would be better off without the people who, and we'll get into the, where the movie goes, the whole cyber attack plot. And then at the end revealed to what, what this whole big plan is to take down the country. But essentially it's the idea that, well, there are all these people who are racist and tribalistic and vulnerable to disinformation. And we don't really need any of them. But at the same time, the movie is also trying to take this, uh, this misanthropic attitude and say, well, that's a problem as well, because we need enough hope to come together so that we can believe in the system, believe in the technocrats, believe in the experts. And so with these kind of four main characters, they all have related but distinct arcs with regard with regard to that attitude. With the Julia Roberts characters, essentially, uh, she learns that she's too hateful and she needs to have enough hope that she comes together with one of the other characters at the end for a more optimistic attitude. With GH, the Obama insert, it's he realized that uh, he had kind of, he had underestimated uh, just how tribalism can destroy uh, even this this great world order that's emerging. He should have been more proactive in preparing other people for these possibilities, which is exactly stuff that Obama has said since leaving the presidency about his own regrets. So that's just one thing that I would add in at the beginning is that, yes, the movie is kind of incepting these ideas of, well, there are people in the world that we just don't need, but it's not quite so straightforward as that because the movie is also kind of using that as a foil to try to get people back on board this kind of unity in trusting the global experts messaging as well interesting 
I, I just wanted to bring up about how uh, these people, we don't need them anymore. If you look at the higher ground productions, that's who Obama, the Obamas, both of them are running this production. Um, they have this thing where they, it's like a documentary series or whatever about people in the workforce. And I watched the trailer. I forget what the name of it is. But if you look up like higherground.com or whatever, there's like you, you can scroll through and see the list. <laughs> yeah, the logo. We'll get into that. But uh, if you scroll down, they have from the uh, what they advertise they've done in the past. Uh, one of these shows is about they follow like a hospitality worker and like a kitchen worker and like. And they talk about their day and the people are saying to Obama, they're like, as long as I have food in the fridge, and, you know, I'm happy. And so, that, I mean, it just goes right in with the, what they're going to do with the CBDCs. And like they're talking about how work is changing and like, you know, AI and robots and whatnot. So it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So this if you can scroll down, you can see uh, we can see a little bit see this there working what we do all day and they they put in photoshop obama's head into this like picture of like a, a poor family man like it's it's disgusting but anyway so if you keep scrolling down to the next one we'll see what michelle obama is doing what right there see michelle obama and oprah winfrey have a netflix special titled the light we carry what is a light carrier? Lucifer. Lucifer. These are Luciferians. Yeah. Yes. And look at what Obama is wearing. Full white. No, no, no. Down the Michelle. Yeah. In that picture too. Full white robe. That's what the Luciferians wear. Like the Satanists wear black. But Luciferians wear full white. They want to be the light of the sun, right? They have the, they're clothed in light or whatever. So that's what she's making a, a statement by, she wrote a book, The Light We Carry. And then she's doing this Netflix special about carrying light and then wearing full white. And if you look at the, uh, the logo of their thing, it's a trapezoid. It's a truncated pyramid. I guess it's supposed to be steps or whatever. Stairway to heaven. It's a stairway right. to heaven. Masonic. Right. And what in the Masonic symbol we all recognize on the back of the dollar bill, the 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 triangle with the, the eye inside of it. If you go by what uh, Albert Pike says, that's the eye of Lucifer. Right. Uh, right so the that, capstone's missing. They haven't had the capstone on there yet. Right. Well, it, a trapezoid is huge for the Satanists. That's like trapezoid relates to the Tesseract even because it's trapezoids which hold the inner square, the inner cube uh, trapped within the outer cube. It's like one of the elements of the trap uh, of the Tesseract, the hypercube. But anyway, so so like this, uh, it's they, she's putting it out there. Like, and if you watch the um, the little trailer that it talks about how inspiring and what, you know, we're giving people uh, an inspiration and telling them what their light is, like how to carry light. And it's very esoteric. Uh, and I'm sure the book has all kinds of revealing stuff, but she, they got to they put it right there in front of everybody. They got the purple stage. She's in her white robe you know he maybe whatever that may be uh 
and they got this in the title carrying light and people that are in the know understand that's lucifer and then there so it's like a statement right there this is this is what we're doing the luciferian agenda this is what we this is where we pray to this is like our order is a luciferian that's the objectives you know um and then it it all makes sense with the the first shot is of this movie is the light of the sun coming over the ball earth and I, at first i thought it was like just a like an fu to all the flat earthers out there like look at they had so many shots of around earth and i thought it was great i was laughing but anyway like i realized later like oh that's the light of the morning that's lucifer light of the morning and then she gives her speech she says as the sunrise i was watching so like the sunrise and then like hit her head you know and then she has this thought you know and you think about like the monkeys or the apes from 2001 like they get the download from this thing you know but anyway it's, it's kind of the morning right that's Lucifer. yes yes and uh and the uh so like the we see the earth but then we see the new york city skyline and instead of the twin towers there's the freedom tower like on the left so that like gives us that reminds us never forget never forget you know it's in there our subconscious and the sun is coming between another couple buildings so the sun is like breaking through between the buildings so again that's another like reminder of 9-11 tragedy and so like that that skyline scene there reminding us of 9-11 is like a, a a pre like a a mirror of the end scene with the mushroom cloud over the new york city skyline it's like 9-11 will lead and it gives us that tension in the very first shot like oh I remember I, I never forgot, you know, and we have that fear inside that they're playing with that, that they've been giving us for 20 years about terrorism is going to get us. And so like that. And then we see on the right is Samiramis Ishtar, uh, the Statue of Liberty there, and she's facing away, you know, like, but so that like that's how it starts to give us all of this imagery, you know, and then that uh, that opening speech is very satanic. It's like evil. She hates people. Like, where do you go from there? Like, how how are you going to relate to the? But the movie is there for us to relate to her. And we're all supposed to think like her at this point. You know, we're all it's just like accepted. Yep. And then like her her daughter at the end doesn't even care, like just leaves her family, has no love. There's no love in that family. It's just they're fully destroyed. Um, so I'll leave it there. I'll let you guys pick it up. Yeah, wow. And this is uh, their other podcast is the big hit with a lightning bolt. Like the right. experience symbolism is just right. all over there. Yeah, wow, yeah. I didn't and it's arguable that the, the whole Obama squad is still running the country, right? So, I mean, well, after Trump, I mean, a lot of those guys are back in power. I mean, the rumor is, is that he's still the power behind the throne, so to speak, or his right. squad definitely is. I think I mean, that there was like a, a fight between him and Hillary. You know, like she's the one that brought up the um, his birth certificate is fake and that he wasn't born in America. You know, her and Trump <laughs> together. It, it's like it's this successive order that's been going on since like 2000, at least, you know, since. Well, well Hillary said Hillary said recently that, you know, that the MAGA people need to be sent to re-education camps. So she's kind of a <laughs> this is a this is more of a dove 
perspective of the, <laughs> the NWO, but we can talk about that opening credit sequence. I mean, as we get as we get started into the movie too, and curious what what y'all think of it. I mean, you you see these images of, for example, farm animals turning into coffins, right? So we get no more meat, eat the bugs. Oh right. And then cars are turning into coffins, and that's important because you're going to see the self-driving car disasters, and of course, there's the Intimation, you're not going to be able to have your own private transportation anymore. No more personal automobiles in the new world order. Birds turning into crosses, is inter into crosses, not coffins, is interesting too. I think bird flu, other things. Of course, you have the eye designs, which uh, evoke surveillance and all-seeing eye and, and the rest of it. And that's an occult symbol that'll, that'll come up again, uh, which I guess is to be expected when uh, the Illuminati are making the movie kind of personally, so to speak. Um, but yeah, what did you all think of the, the opening credit sequence? Also the song, the first lyric of the song is I'm really out for blood this time, which again, reinforced the impression in me that what they're saying is that, you know, we played patty cake with you people long enough, right? Now we're going to, we're going to go to the next level to impose, you know, agenda, you know, to impose the next five year plan, so to speak. Yeah, they, they weren't able to take our guns. So now they're going to have to do the hard you know the continuous continuation of government and get rid of the constitution that's the way they're gonna have to get rid of their guns yeah wow yeah no you guys picked up a lot more than i did i think i have to go back and watch it again um yeah it's it's, it's much more sinister you were saying in the pre-show too sean we did the show on white noise it's kind of like that same vibe right it's yes like, yeah Yes, exactly. It's uh, White Noise. I'm sorry about my dogs making noise, but uh, White Noise was released in December exactly a year ago. And that film uh, was a predictive programming to the level of like traumatizing the, the people that had seen it, because once the the real toxic event happens, it uh it sent a shockwave to us, you know, the, I, they filmed that, that movie in my town as well as other towns in Ohio. And there were people that uh, were extras in that film. And all of a sudden the real thing is happening in real life. And that uh, I think that that sends a message to all of us who look at movies and all the, you know, the, the people that are going down this rabbit hole and see how is this exactly the same? Um, and then the nihilistic anti-human message of that film uh, where they try to convince us to just go ahead and die, you know, um, like we don't deserve to live is the same kind of message as this film here. And, uh, you know, we get into it more later, but um, the, it was released in December on Netflix, which is, obviously uh like a cybernetic propaganda device like for fine tuning like getting information on what everybody's watching how long they're watching it you know what else they watch connected to that you know it's all this information and uh they can they're predictive programming as it were can be way more effective and they can get way more information about who's watching what and why um so I think that that Netflix and this new era of the propaganda is is next level, and it's gonna we got to be aware of this and see where they're how they're turning the the wrenches because it's completely new. And in this film, they talk about 
the best you're going to get in a situation like that is a heads up. And what was that white noise was a heads up. Like it was exact. They didn't have to make that huge cloud, but they did. You know, it like it's proven now that the tankers were cooling down. They didn't need to empty them and light the stuff on fire, but they did that. So it matches the movie, I believe. Like it's intentional. So, so anyway, um, do you guys agree with that? With that level of propaganda, do you think we're, they're ratcheting it up that high? I do. I mean, I think that it's interesting to look at the combination here of so there's the possible horrifying predictive elements, the kind of conditioning. So like take this image of like the of the upside down flag. So the general kind of demoralization conditioning, the idea of fall of the nation, strife, discord, all of that. And then you can juxtapose that with the level of explicit messaging in the movie, which is fascinating. I was kind of getting at this before, but it's kind of trying to project these ideas of, um, of, of division and despair onto the ideological enemies of the people for making this movie, like in the context of the film, you know, it, it ends with the idea, oh, there's a coup in America, that there are people who are trying to destroy the country because they're so susceptible to disinfo. And those are the people who are basically on the other uh, team from the Obama self-insert in here. It's like, uh, it's the, here we have the kind of technocratic globalists, ironically, trying to align themselves with this kind of humanistic come together messaging. And they're saying, oh, but then our enemies are the ones who are in despair, don't believe in humanity, want to destroy the nation. And I think some interesting context for this, I mean, again, this movie is so fascinatingly obnoxious. Again, it's just like an Obama fever dream fantasy where he gets to, you know, have Mahershal Ali play him and be the cool guy who's understanding in a world of chaos and he's sophisticated and he knows finance and culture and all this stuff. But um, Obama gave a speech, I think, maybe just last year, uh, at a Stanford University Cyber Policy Center symposium, and his speech was called Challenges to Democracy in the Digital Information Realm. Let me just read a quote from Obama here, then I think we can compare it to some of the G.H. Mahershali characters' lines in the film. But So Obama speaking, he says, people like Putin and Steve Bannon, for that matter, understand it's not necessary for people to believe this information in order to weaken democratic institutions. You just have to flood a country's public square with enough raw sewage. You just have to raise enough questions, spread enough dirt, plant enough conspiracy theorizing that citizens no longer know what to believe. Once they lose trust in their leaders, in mainstream media, in political institutions, in each other, in the possibility of, of truth, the game is won. What does still nag at me, though, was my failure to fully appreciate at the time just how susceptible we had become to lies and conspiracy theories, despite having spent years being a target of disinformation myself. Um, and then uh, I think a little bit later on, he says, Putin didn't do that. He didn't have to. We did it to ourselves. So where do we go from here? If we do nothing, I am convinced the trends that we're seeing will get worse. New technologies are already challenging the way that we regulate currency, how we keep consumers safe from fraud. And with the emergence of AI, disinformation will grow more sophisticated. That's the end of the quote. So a couple interesting, interesting things to pick out there. One is the kind of AI threat uh, to, as a disinformation tool at the end, uh, because the World Economic Forum has been talking about that a lot recently, about they want to crack down on AI because they're afraid that that'll spread. Disinfo, disinfo just meaning 
any kind of uh, perspective or analysis that's not in line with the um, kind of absolutist globalist ideology there. But there, so you kind of have, um, I mean, Obama there in that speech is saying things that are like almost line for line the same as the Mahershala uh, character sense uh, in Leave the World Behind. I mean, all this stuff about people are losing uh, their ability to believe in truth, they're susceptible to disinformation, all this kind of stuff. I mean, so the kind of jump to the end, he has some lines there where he is basically saying, you know, this three-step uh, this three-step plan to destroy a nation, and oh, he wishes that he had taken it more seriously that this could happen, but essentially uh, isolate a country, flood it with disinfo, and then there'll be a coup d'etat. And then the coup d'etat basically is from, we can uh, assume, right-wing elements in the American military. So again, a lot of these scare tactics that we've gotten in real life from this kind of like lib-globalist um, ideological front, you know, we, we see very clearly coming out, co we see very clearly coming out in the film. So yeah, I just, um, I, I, I find all that to be, uh, to be very important there that Obama is uh, is basically saying that, well, that his main flaw was that he wasn't serious enough about pushing back on disinfo and basically saying, you know, our real flaw as globalists is that we let you guys think for yourselves even a little bit. And that was really dangerous. And we're sorry about that. So if you come together, believe in truth, believe in each other, aka believe in the lib globalist consensus then we'll all be good. So that, that, that I think gives some good context for what the Obamas are up to in producing this movie. Wow. That's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it is interesting. Like Sean, you say like, this is the new form of propaganda. This is the more, it's like a mix of predictive programming, culture creation, uh, demoralization, um, the, kind of promotion of almost like the Kinsey Hefner, like uh, nihilistic, uh, you know, kind of interpersonal things that go on, like almost like we're just uh, automatons or whatever like that. It seems like this is part of it. I think that's really what they're trying to impart is like this family is just a bunch of like, like you said, there's, it's, it's like a pseudo family. Like it's the communist worldview. Like, Hey, you're just kind of like, know each other but you're not bound to each other yeah and, and i mean uh that I, I that quote by obama is really actually is, is more disturbing <laughs> uh it, it makes the movie even more disturbing when i think about it because he's doing exactly what he describes so creating sort of more distrust in society so I, i've raised this question several times in a really serious manner on our on our show like quite apart from kind of deep politics analysis i mean i would ask normies who who don't like, quote, disinformation, i.e. don't like uh, deep politics, uh, um, you know, heterodox sort of analyses of politics, who's, who is like encouraging these conspiracy theories, really? And it's Hollywood. They've been doing it for a long time. Every, con every conspiracy theory under the sun um, can be found in, and usually in major Hollywood movies. And this is some this is like just like mammoth in a living room. Nobody talks about it. So this movie, which is that this, whatever Hollywood is now, this is, I guess, a major Hollywood movie produced by the Obamas, a very topical movie about politi the, the, the political climate of the day. And at the middle of it is a, is a conspiracy theory, uh, um, is a psychological warfare blueprint, really, and the package in the conspiracy theory. I'm talking about the story, we'll read it, that GH tells. Um, which is the Yuri Bezmanov, uh, Bezmanov, is that his name, right? 
that's the, you know, and we, you hear this on Alex Jones all the time. It, it, it's everywhere. So the Obamas are purveying Alex Jones style conspiracy theories and then laundering them through a movie, attributing them to Illuminati elites. And what is the effect of this? And we can debate what it all means, but the effect of it is to sow more distrust, right? And society to sort of spread that around and then have people speculating on what it means. He's doing exactly what he claims that his enemies are doing. This is who these people are. Like I'm, some of them I know are psychopathic. I mean, I don't know Obama personally, but I, I suspect the worst about uh, about that crew. This is this is six. I mean, he's slick. I mean, Obama's not stupid. I mean, he may seem uh, what's the what's the word? I mean, he's it's a very entry level right kind of psyop when you're dealing with Obama propaganda. But no, Obama knows his role. He's very slick. Yeah, you notice with that speech that GH made, like the first one at the table having drinks, he told us that, you know, oh, the cabal that runs the world. And then he was like, conspiracy theories are dumb. Really, no one is in charge. So therefore, no one is to blame. So save your pitchforks, everybody. What are you going to do? Just take it. <laughs> You know, it's really weird. Uh, like they, that he erases the, even though it's like, oh yeah, the defense contractors that are trading money, but it's not their fault. They just, you know, they give you a warning. They feel good. They they want to help. You know, they gave a warning. Right, and with uh, the the emphasis of the movie on, well, there's this chaos, there's this tribalism, tech failure, the return of the wild, which is a lot of that symbolism of the deer and all these other animals and stuff. The idea there is that, oh, we're just hanging on by a thread as a civilization, so maybe it would be a good thing if there was a conspiracy, if there were people in charge, they're just trying to help out. I mean, all the, the best that they can get is a heads up, right? So I think that's the kind of implicit messaging of a lot of this is like, man, it's so naive that all these conspiracies theorists they don't understand what savvy guys like obama do that the world is chaos but like maybe if those guys like obama if they had a little bit more power had a tighter you know technological technocratic uh, grid to control society with maybe they could save us from ourselves is some of what with a little bit of hope maybe we could change <laughs> yeah no but that's part of the same decoherence and the same disorientation so it's right there in the story right so you find this sort of group of people trying to manage the world and they go, Hey, now you're, now you're in the club and you see nobody's really in charge, quote unquote, ha ha ha. It's a, it's a big joke. Yeah. I mean, nobody's omnipotent, right? But so it's all this confusion of language, control versus rule, omnipotence versus influence, right? And they deliberately sow this, they paint their enemies, as, they paint their ideological enemies, their info war enemies as saying things they don't say, right? So they look silly. Right. And then they 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 sow this confusion of language and then complain about the disorientation. These people, I'm sorry, I, I know this is a broker. They're really evil when you study them enough. It's just what they do is really evil. They're not interested in coherence. They can't win a debate. Their ideas aren't good. That's why they're that's why they're engaging in wall to wall, nonstop psychological warfare, because they're bankrupt morally. They're bankrupt ideologically. The Obamas don't have anything to sell you. But those images up there of, of him and Michelle, oh, there's nothing behind it. I'm sorry. And if you're a leftist and you're smart, you know that. <laughs> well, yeah, really, like uh, I was just talking with Hans about this, that at the end, the daughter is in Plato's cave, looking at the cave wall, just with a smile, like, you know, uh, like these just succumb to the images. Just, you know, it makes you happy, you know, just live in your bunker and let us sort it out. 
And when it's all over, you can crawl out and maybe we can have some new uh, civilization where the new normal is, you know, we got 10 sectors and it's in, you know, globalism. And, you know, there's this, you know, it, it'll just turn into 1984. <laughs> yeah. And I have a lot of thoughts on that ending and the director's comments on it and how he sees it as very positive. So uh, I think we should really get into that. But, uh, but yeah, that, that speech that GH gives to Amanda over drinks, that one that we were just talking about, I think is, I, I mean, I just think that's so important because so like some of what he says in particular is a conspiracy theory about a shadowy group of people running the world is far too lazy of an explanation, especially when the truth is much scarier. No one is in control. No one is pulling the strings. Sure, there are those like my friend who might have the right kind of access to the right kind of information. When events like this happen in the world, the best even the most powerful people can hope for is a heads up. So, I mean, one thing that's going on there is just mainstream uh, media, kind of Netflix as Illuminati state TV, hoping with the fact that, like, at this point, even some normies are hearing on Fox News or whatever about the World Economic Forum. They can't just pretend that that kind of stuff isn't there, so they have to kind of hang a lampshade on it that way. Then there's also some more, I think, of Obama's self-image coming out there where he's, like, saying, like, well, uh, he doesn't want people to think that he's in the club. He just knows the guys. Like, he's saying, well, my job is to let you know that, like, I'm not one of the Illuminati, but they're cool. They're not what you think they are. They're not anything that you've heard about them that's bad or anything. They're just trying to do the right thing, kind of like me. So he's an ambassador. So I think that that, I think that that is really important as well. I mean, the, the movie talks over and over again about, like he says, about this kind of idea about truth. And a lot of this is kind of the idea where, again, this projection where globalists like look at people who are anti-globalists and say, well, you're post-truth. You don't believe in truth anymore. You know, Trump is a postmodernist or whatever other nonsense, you know, kind of thing that they um, that they might include in their messaging because for them, they're just so frustrated that technology can be used against their plans and not just for their plans. They just view their globalist designs as, well, it's just default reality. It is just, it should be the only thing that technology is ever used for is just the wholesale promotion of this plan for the world. And it just drives them crazy. Uh, the idea that people living in a modern technological society might come to other forms of analysis or other worldviews other than what they're promoting. So a lot of what you get with films like these is just this frustrated scream that technology can be used by people other than them. And so when GH says stuff about, oh, it makes him so sad when people cling to their preconceived beliefs instead of truth, that he actually says at one point that he enjoys watching the market punish people who cling to their preconceived beliefs instead of truth, aka the Obama globalist worldview. So it's just this real sadism there, the idea there that um, that this expert approved technocratic global woke capitalism like that is just reality these people want to say and if you're not part of that then you deserve to be punished and the it's the film is pretty explicit in kind of obama channeling his frustration through this character yeah it's something else denzel washington was supposed to play that role by the way so that was going to be probably obama's like ideal actor to to be the stand-in for him. But it's true. It is interesting because this whole idea of control and nothing's in control, it actually goes back to some well-known occultists, Robert Anton Wilson and, and Alan Moore, both have that position that they proffered forward that the scariest thing is nobody's in control while at the same time being engaged behind the scenes and 
Robert Anton Wilson, I think one of his books was Everything is Under Control. So I think that there's a two-faced, disingenuous uh, position by these guys to say, hey, that's what they're telling the the proles, right? The public is nothing's really in, in control. Yeah, I, I was thinking of that Alan Moore quote. Yeah, I was thinking of that exact Alan Moore quote where he famously talks about that. And Terrence McKenna said the exact same thing. All these guys, all these people who are mainstreaming these occult beliefs, they can't uh, they, 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 they can't let people think that there's a real problem in the world with people who are spiritually wicked, who have major power that conflicts with their worldview when they're trying to initiate people into these forms of thought. So Obama's doing that from a different direction with this. I do think that they are like they're pushing that humans are bad though in general. Like they're saying the the globalists are okay, but you humans are totally wicked and there's the overt easter eggs of the African American slavery history of America. Um the and all the other shows have brought up this like about the 1619 on the radio and they they she goes to point comfort marketplace and that's uh and then the white lion ship so the white lion was the first boat to bring slaves to america in 1619 they brought it to point comfort virginia so like then they go the family goes to the beach and they go to charleston harbor where charleston harbor was where 40 percent of all african slaves came through america and so like this is like really hammering in like america's evil america's evil but and then the family being black and then the they own the house and then the white people are the intruders there's all of that dynamic that they're pushing really hard but that's like the exoteric but then if you look further there's more than just like uh about what america does to the african americans uh, if you look downstairs in the basement above the bed, there is a uh, framed print of a painting called The United States of Attica by Faith Ringgold. And this is, uh, it says on there that uh, it was, let's see, it was, uh, there's a, it's written there's like all these handwritten notes and it says at the bottom uh that the this is a um incomplete map of american uh um, of american like um evil basically american violence right yes this map of american violence is incomplete please write whatever you find lacking Yes, write it in. So like it includes the people to think about how America is evil and then they, they're writing all these evil things. So and what we've done, what we did to the prisoners, you know, like what we did, like there's plenty of African-Americans in prison, but I was a prisoner myself for, you know, cannabis, you know, like what the government of America does to uh, people. It's evil. And the riot in Attica. And, you know, you could think about what they're trying to uh, engender with this movie. And they had they did with the BLM riots. They they just, you know, it was peaceful and look at all oh, the burning is OK. You know, it was like encouraged. Uh, so there's that evil. And then like uh, just a moment after we see that painting, it pans to upstairs 
where uh, on the TV, there's the emergency broadcast. And then it flashes to a map of the United States with levels of disruption caused by the cyber attack across the country. It was like a CNN image. But there was a QR code like right over Kentucky that was like hidden in the image. So this is another one of these Easter eggs. And the QR code leads to a real website. So uh, if you want, I'll, I can uh, put the website in the... Um, uh, here, wait one second. I'll, I'll send you the website address in the chat. All right. So this is Sean Lake. It's called uh, Lake Shawnee Abandoned Amusement Park. And so this is what they're telling us America is. Right. And then if you scroll down, it gives you the story where it starts. You see, the past originates in the 18th century. During the 1700s, Mitchell Clay brought his family. The man in this movie's name is Clay. The father, the white father, brought his young family out west. They established an 800-acre farm and raised 14 children. Tragedy struck. Like, this tragedy's going to happen. Ooh. And here, wait, hold up, hold up. Uh, so the, a Native American tribe slew two of the children of the Mitchell's family, of Mitchell's Clay's family. And then they kidnapped one of the boys, Ezekiel, and burned him at the stake. Clay retaliated with other settlers, tracked down Native Americans, killed them. All right. And then we scroll down and we see what else happened on this land. There was a, uh, there some some dude bought the land and he wanted to make an amusement park and at the amusement park uh there was like six children died and one of them drowned in the in the lake and another one died on the swings and everybody's like oh this place is haunted and then somebody goes and buys the land to go put houses there and as they're digging they dig up uh bones and native american artifacts that were there long before clay ever got there so uh it was an ancient burial ground and uh the natives were retaliating because they're like hey you can't live on our burial ground and then they burned the kids and killed the kids whatever that so it's been like like the shining you know the the tragedy causes the ghosts to like be there on the land and it the tragedy continues and so this is what they're telling us america is it's an ancient indian burial ground that we put an amusement park on top of you know and like and tragedy is looming you know out we're gonna get our just desserts of you know the karmic return uh so like you can't just build an abandoned, uh, you know, uh, a theme park of America, this freedom uh, experiment you guys got with your constitution. It's, you know, it's a sideshow that is dangerous and it should be shut down by authorities like the British government, you know. So you I know, just want to say it's also kind of like how some of these films and things other people would pick up on this where the white people would just be oblivious to it, right? So these are all signs and symbols where like indigenous, African-American, whatever the oppressed 
groups would like, oh, that's this. This is the Ringgold thing. I know this, right? Because it says here, red, black, and green poster depicts a map of the United States noting indigenous slave and immigrant uprisings and the dates of other details of racist violence, witch hunts, assassinations, lynchings, and other oppressive actions. So the past is present. Exactly. Yeah. Like that painting is the same as what the Shawnee Lake website is telling us. It's like, you know, horrors in this amusement park that we call America. And like, uh, it's, it's like seeding into our subconscious as we're watching. If we ever went down these rabbit holes and discovered all this stuff, uh, we would see that, Oh yeah, we deserve to die. America deserves to be destroyed. You know, it's just like, like, uh, Oh yeah. For justice. Right. You know, the BLM riot started for justice, and like if we have a new Nuremberg for whatever 9-11 justice, like if it's an inside job, we're going to be destroying our own country. You know, uh, that's what they want. So globalism can come in. And in the beginning, I just want to say this, too. There's another little uh, the, when as they're driving the opening shot on Julia Roberts's face, she's saying on a telephone, she says, Leave the world behind. That's the name of it. And then she describes the house is a hamlet or the town is hamlet. I'm like, oh, well, what happens at the end of hamlet? Like the entire family of the That's... royal family is destroyed. And then the king of Norway just comes in and puts the crown on his head. Oh, thank you. Ethan, Ethan Hawke played the hamlet. Oh, really? Too. Yeah. <laughs> it goes deeper the rabbit holes man but i mean it makes sense like this is what they want they want to have this chaos and that's what the plan is at the end they want us to destroy ourselves like hamlet destroyed his own family and then some usurper can come and without a fight just take the crown you know and that's in the, in the opening like the first couple lines like right after that song where it says a uh, uh out for blood and new money in my hand like that what is that cbdc's too like there's so many there's a lot in that song too um but we don't need to get stuck on that what do you guys think well i i think that it's interesting to look at how the film um what basically the message is trying to impress upon the audience uh, in terms of uh these two key scenes at the end, the one with the Kevin Bacon character, who's this kind of like ridiculous Hollywood caricature of a Trump supporter, this kind of this prepper guy who is like, you know, he's pointing a gun at um, Hirsch Ali and, uh, and Ethan Hawke at the end. And he's, uh, you know, he's a bad guy. You know, he's basically like turned on his friend G.H. We thought he could trust him because now that the apocalypse is happening, then he's like turning back to all these kind of tribal commitments. And that's that's very, very bad from the kind of Obama perspective of this movie that people would have any kind of particularity to their ethical commitments, any kind of national, familial, cultural particularity. It's like, no, you just need to be committed to whatever we, we, you know, we tell you, this nebulous idea of truth and love, one world, all of that. But that's happening at the same time as this other scene where kind of you see the biggest herd of deer that we've seen yet, of all these creepy deer that are kind of like staring at them throughout the movie, um, are basically also then confronting these two other characters, G.H.'s daughter, uh, Ruth, and then... Um, 
Ethan Hawke plays wife Amanda in this other scene, and uh, there's these kind of uh, two character moments that kind of go together that I think we really need to look at. The one is basically Ethan Hawke, who's this kind of useless guy, this kind of useless intellectual type, who's really, really incompetent, and yeah, he's hopeful in the way that GH is, but he's not savvy and cool. He's just kind of bumbling, um, and he, what he does is kind of throws himself into the situation, this like arm standoff between GH and the Kevin Bacon character, and he's the one who gets the Kevin Bacon prepper Trump supporter character to kind of stand down and help them. And at the same time, Amanda kind of, when she sees that like Ruth is like terrified by all these deer that are coming and staring at her, she kind of is the one who kind of initiates the kind of like waving her arms, kind of steps in to like help out Ruth until the deer go away. So basically, the, I mean, the movie's being very symbolically obvious at this point that this is the the kind of the return of the wild, the return of all of our dark tribal impulses, the globals are trying to save us from are happening on two fronts through this kind of racism or 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 whatever else these back beliefs from this prepper guy and then all these animals that are coming and terrifying ruth the you know black daughter the mahersha ali character and so basically you have these two characters who you know are really probably how the audience uh see or how the film sees a lot of the audience is like the ethan hawk character and the julia roberts character those are the people who are going to be on you know netflix watching this movie this is the movie basically saying this is what you're supposed to do you need to help us out step up do the work help out the characters like ga and Ruth. Like on one hand, you have um, Clay, Ethan Huck, basically realizing, okay, GH is in trouble. I can help him because essentially, like, I can speak white. Like, I can, I, I, I can help my this racist white guy stand down, put his gun down, and help us out. Like, I, like, I, I can be a good ally to GH Obama and do that. And he essentially does that by saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a pathetic guy. I'm not prepared for technological collapse. But you are. Please help us out. And then at the same time, Amanda, Julia Roberts, who's been like the most racist character in the movie. The movie kind of is being coy, whether she's just misanthropic or whether she does have racial prejudices. Hint at the latter, she steps up to save this character who's been kind of antagonizing her in those ways. So, um, so I think that that's uh, I, I think that that's a huge part of the movie's conclusion is that amidst all the despair and everything, the ethical injunction it's giving to its audience is basically saying, "Well, just yeah, come on board. This is how you can help us out by supporting our cause." Again, the globalists who want to save us from ourselves. Uh. I just wanted to note that the moment that nature almost takes over uh, is like a standoff of guns, right? And what was Obama trying to do? I mean, he was crying fake tears, trying to take away our guns. The whole time he was in office, there were all those, in my opinion, fake mass shootings, you know? And so like that is part of the operation, you know, and like uh, when the the white women screaming, ah, that's like, put down your guns, you know, it's and then if you look at the um, GH, he goes over to that locked cabinet and with a little key, he opens this drawer and there's like bag of money and loaded nine millimeter with no trigger lock, no safety box, just like just there to be in a house where he's renting it to children. I mean that in itself like causes people that are afraid of guns <laughs> you know like there's people that are afraid of guns in general think that just guns no, just for, kill people was well, as you've as you've very um uh admirably figured out Sean like every frame of this movie is a sign <laughs> so yeah i mean the anti gun stuff is layered in everything's layered in i just 
I want to say that scene. The, okay, so the everything about the uh, Kevin Bacon character, right? Like whoever wrote that should never write in Hollywood again. Like this is the worst. This is the stupid. Like so they said it. I didn't get it. Right? You have a you see a gun in the first half of the movie. It's got a fire in the second half, so to speak. Kind of thing. So we see the Kevin's. We see the Kevin Bacon character. He's kind of a redneck. We see something's going to happen later in the movie. We're going to see him later in the movie but you don't know it's just going to be this one stupid scene and what is he i want medicine he keeps asking like what like they're not even saying like is it is it did legal tell them they couldn't name a medicine like, it's just like give me the like and he must have it because he has the medicine this is the stupid i'm sorry this is the stupidest writing i've ever encountered it's so terrible they're so laughable and though even the way they framed it like He's not, we don't want to make him, you know, we don't make him like this nasty bigoted, right? We don't want to show Americans how much we hate them here. We just want to show that, you know, you're kind of backward and we want to help you along. So let's just, it's just so sad. Everything about this is that you all, you failed, by the way. This is a very bad psyop. It failed. It's stupid. Your ideas make you stupid. You're not creative. You're not reaching any higher ground. It sucks. Ugh. It's funny because like the, you know, it's a blue pill, by the way. That, that he gives to the people to save them or whatever. And we don't know what bit the kid, that tick bite. We don't know if it's radiation poisoning. What the heck? You know, and they're just like, oh, yeah, science. Trust the science. This is a medicine. Uh, you know, like, it'll fix it. Whatever. That's done. Don't but that's it. Obama that. is the blue. Obama's the blue pill. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just so ridiculous. Like, they don't even explain what it is or what. And then, so, like, this prepper guy, he trusts the science. He's got those pills. You know, he's got them stockpiled. And he trusts the dollar. You know, he's, like, counting his money. And he's like, oh, yeah, the barter system. And they make fun of him because it's still cash, you know. But, it, you know, it's just, like, they're they're showing. It's like they're rubbing our nose in it. Like, you're, you guys are dumb. Like you, you want cash like idiots, you know, <laughs> like you, you want our medicines like, uh, and like, and at the end, the little girl is eating the junk food and like eating the, her eyes are eating the junk media. Like, it's just, these people are just shoveling it in, you know, they, they believe everything. And it's funny to watch them quibble between each other with guns. It's stupid. <laughs> Yeah, and with that ending, I so I, I I kind of alluded to this before, but Sam Esmail, the director, has like said that he really intended the ending to be totally sincere, as like a very sweet moment when she's this uh, the the girl, uh, the child of um uh, of Clay and Amanda, the younger child of the uh, that she has been trying to watch the 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 finale of the TV show Friends. She's obsessed with Friends and has been trying to watch that through the whole film, but because of the technological failure, she's not been able to, and some of the other characters give her a hard time about that. Her older brother basically is uh, very cynical when she's basically trying to say how much the show means to her, how she feels like she knows the characters. He tells her that's dumb. And um, Ruth, the, the much more politically aggressive daughter of GH, is essentially... Um, insinuates that there's some kind of even like racial prejudice when she's talking to Amanda about like, oh, the world of friends never really exists. Nostalgia for a world that never existed, you know, which is this typical lib globalist Obama line of no one was ever happy before 30 years ago, you know, just like, what are you doing with your fantasy that anybody had a good life uh, before our cultural engineering programs swept into full gear. But um, despite all of that, 
again, as Miles said, that he thinks that there are different ways that people can essentially cope with the harshness of the world. That this whole against this whole idea of this ferocity of nature before it gets tamed by the technocratic experts. Um, and, uh, and and then he says that there are different ways that we can cope with these things. And he says that there can be dark and scary ways. Again, essentially saying like the way that people can give into their their bigotries and their backwardsness, or they could just watch their favorite shows. And so the the ending of the movie when she's like yeah in this bunker and she just like sees just like the all these shelves full of movies and then ends up seeing the one that she wanted to and then the the end credits is the theme song for Friends. Um, that the movie is trying to say that this is a positive thing, and this is one way that it's actually trying to temper some of the aggressive rhetoric given to uh, to GH's daughter, to Ruth. Because, again, the movie is from Obama's perspective, and so the daughter character is essentially like the Gen Z leftist Zoomers who, like, he uh, once on his side was saying, you're being a little bit too aggressive. Let the system work. We've got this. Don't burn everything down. The movie is essentially saying, let them have their pop culture. Like, that's fine. Let them dissociate into that. There's some similar messaging in the Barbie movie actually that came out not too long ago where there's this kind of Gen Z leftist Zoomer character that the movie is like trying to like use her as a foil to say basically say like no don't worry just chill out like everything that we've been doing for a long time is gonna get you where you want so it's this Obama kind of uh, attempt to bring in the far leftist younger ones into the big tent of their coalition and so this is interesting because essentially it's the idea of leaving the world behind in the right in the right way. It's saying, well, the world is chaos. So you can either dissociate in the bad way, they're saying, of embracing any political or religious or ideological idea that we don't approve of. That's the bad leaving the world behind. Or you can leave the world behind in the good way and taking the pop culture optimistic treats that will give you in order to supplement your life and uh, just give you a little boost while you get on board with our political program. So I think it's pretty obvious that that's what's going on with the ending. Because yeah, because the media is not political. I mean, it's not like it's being produced by Obamas, for example. But um, no, the, she's the the Rose character and her journey, if you like, through them in the movie, culminating with the scene we just discussed here, is the is the key to the revelation of the method going on. So at the end, there it's like yeah, they're you know, eating junk food that we know gives you cancer and gives you diabetes and does all the rest of it to you. Watching junk media that we know makes you stupid and susceptible to psyops, which are going to depopulate the planet and losing your fertility and the rest of it, right? And just, yeah, go into your coom pod and dine. It's showing you that. And she's so, okay, so then work back. I really think there's a monarch interpretation. It's it's somewhat subtle, right? But she looks like a mind control victim. I mean, she's just got these big, maybe it's a, I'm trying to, I, Jay Dyer and Tristan, they did an analysis of this. I think they said something about the eyes, which is pretty that like MK Ultra, thousand yard MK Ultra stare or something, I think. They, was. they oh, look yeah, like, like a, a deer. Like a baby deer, like a fawn, you know, like big eyes are like, and it's endearing to us naturally. That's why we love babies. You know, that's why we think things are cute. Uh, if it's got big eyes, we think it's cute and want to save it and cuddle it. And her, her name is Rose, which is a, a monarch name. Uh, if we you call her Rose. And she wears a NASA shirt all the time and people know the the conspiracy theory that nasa's a front for mind control and some of these movies like play the navigator and so forth are just coded mind control and um so there's there's a lot of that going on with with her character including i think the communicate her sensitivity right to to nature and her ability whatever's going on there her ability to attract or communicate with or somehow be in harmony with nature tom's can say a lot about where that's going in terms of the kind of 
goddess mother matrix which is the media um but you know it, it struck me as again like kind of that uh theta you know programming and you see that in some of these monarch movies like phenomenon with jennifer connelly and even the one we analyzed together beyond the black rainbow where there's that these certain kinds of mind control victims are given you know these certain programs are able to have power in nature and, and communicate with nature and um, so there was a lot, and then and then the fact that right, she's just addicted to the media and obsessed with with the media itself. And we've tracked this persistent theme where there's a parallel between kind of mass media mind control and into the. So I think she's a symbol, basically, of the mind control viewer. And they're telling you at the end, and this is the culmination. Like, just go back into your your pod and enjoy the psyop. There's nothing you can. There's nothing you can do about. It. I mean, even if you do, they're saying even if you do it, and I think what Sean did is very valuable. Don't get me wrong. You should you should do this because they're not as clever as they think they are. But even if you go look these things up, there's nothing you can do about it. Right? You'll probably just look crazy to your friends. Like, why are you looking at QR codes and movies? Is it just it's just there by accident? As if every frame of that, that you, the amount of money they put in, of course, every everything in that movie, they're not going to give you free advertising in movies anymore. And it's by the way, there's a lot of product placement, Starbucks and other stuff in the movies so i did i did want to note before we stop talking about the daughter uh rosie she like at one point the brother's like if you care so much about deer why don't you ask mom and dad and she's like they don't listen to me they don't care about me i would never ask mom and dad you know and then later she just abandons her whole family and goes in a bunker like she doesn't care that the family's not there you know She's heartless. It's removed. So that's another uh, relation to the MK Ultra public that we've absorbed all this media and now we don't care. <laughs> this know? is the ultimate situation for the ultimate suggestibility, if not hypnotizability, is to be totally alone, isolated, and you only have one direct input into your mind. So she's like in the most uh suggestible state like in this right know, that's how that's how cults do it right yeah. yeah yeah they isolate amongst other things right isolate uh very look very low external stimuli um and them just being able to just hit you over and over again it's crazy right yeah i was trying to find how much they spent on the movie i couldn't find an, an external source of how much they spent but i know that netflix has big dollars so something tells me this uh no expense was spared i get the sense of that right yeah netflix is so valuable to their cyber cybernetics you know and it was created by the grand nephew or whatever of of uh Right, it was propaganda by uh, what's right. his name? Yeah, it's his grand nephew. Uh, what's his name? <sighs> yeah, no, I mean, going through this, it feels like we're talking about white noise again, Sean, because yes. it's really just yes. super sinister. And I think that it's interesting. A lot of insights that we've gone through in the last sixty minutes goes into the mindset of people who are running the country now and how they can just see the whole country go down the tubes and justify it because it's haunted. There were abuses. There were fights. These people are against us. Yes. There are en word enmity. And this is historical for hundreds of years. So the fact that we can drive every urban center into a Mad Max hellscape is totally okay. That's what they're doing. Like, there's no shame. Like, uh, my city, San Francisco, London Breed is out at the ball game, laughing it up and, and having a great time. Like, there's no, 
feeling of like integrity towards the past or anything. They don't care. It doesn't, it doesn't have any significance to them. The people who built the cities are building up because it's all based upon haunted indigenous and slave, even in California, which there are no African-Americans until after 1950. Um, and very, you know, the Spanish were here before anybody, but, uh, it's it's interesting. This this movie is, I think, an insight into the mindset of the current political left. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at um, so, like I said earlier, uh, there's uh, there, there's different angles to how the movie treats these these different characters to kind of summarize some of those dynamics that I talked about a little bit earlier. And it's interesting then to juxtapose that with uh, the the journey of. Uh, Rose, the mind control victim, I think that's a great insight to, to really kind of see a monarch undertone there. But essentially, Clay is um, is optimistic, and that's good uh, because GH is optimistic, but he's dumb. And he needs to admit that he's dumb and use his self-awareness of being just kind of a retard, inept guy for good. And that's the, that, that's the messaging to a lot of the audience, you know, and then... Uh, like like I've said from the beginning, GH, like he's like Obama, so he's basically perfect, except he underestimated just how bad other people can be and should have done more uh, to warn other people against that. Um, with, with Amanda, she's smart like GH, so that's good, but she has racial prejudices and she's too misanthropic, so needs, she needs a little bit more hope so she can get on board with the messaging. And then, like, 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 like I've said, the movie is trying to temper the aggressiveness of Ruth, GH's daughter. You know, I see when some people get really annoyed with this movie, you know, they point to some of her lines that are, of course, like really stupid about like not trusting white people and all that kind of thing. And it is it is dumb and it's poorly written and all this stuff. But that stuff bothered me less in the movie than some of these other things that are given to GH, because, again, like you're not supposed to take her at face value. You're supposed to like GH sympathize with his daughter because, of course, oh, we can't imagine how bad she has it, you know, being a black girl and all of these things. But at the same time, she is supposed to sound paranoid when she says stuff like Clay wants to sleep with her. Uh, and she is supposed to sound kind of trite when she's talking to Amanda about like not having a career because she doesn't want to get pulled into a job or whatever. Like she, like everyone else, she's kind of like orbiting like these insights that GH has. And so like all of those things kind of go together. But then it's interesting because then the movie ends on this apocalyptic note where, okay, GH has failed. New York is being bombed. The right wing people in the military who are probably racist are taking over. We failed. AKA this is like lib hysteria, panic and trauma over like Trump having and presidents and all these things and oh god what if it happens again and all this so it's like oh no uh obama failed uh right-wing people still exist white people still exist this is horrifying so you have all those those four arcs that i just mentioned and then in parallel well it gives you what do you do you watch friends well, don't worry you still have pop culture uh you can dissociate into netflix or whatever and it's interesting because sam esmail has basically said he thought he was being clever and i think he says that the netflix guys didn't see it in the last scene where she looks like she's about to watch netflix for a moment but then instead plays a dvd and he says like that was kind of his clever little hint that you need to rely on um more traditional forms of media than the streaming services because what happened if the grid goes down but it's like dude you're still making the movie for netflix like this is not this is not some subversive anti-netflix messaging that you have on there like this is still your people are all, like watching a tv screen watching netflix and uh, in the movie they're watching on netflix they're still seeing a bunch of movies and a character at the end selecting a movie to watch like it is basically saying well don't worry um, we haven't uh, taken over the world yet. And that's really scary and traumatizing for us, but you've got your pop culture coom pod. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll be there for you. The media will be there while the world burns. Exactly. Yeah. That, that article, but I I saw that too. That is so so. It looks like it's written by AI or something. I mean, I mean, is that the normie? Is that the debunking level the normies are at? Like, no, this movie can't be a. So I mean, the Obama's only. Yeah, like like the um the cyber polygon. If this is what we're talking about here, is the the cyber polygon mass blackout event that seems to be being signaled right and 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 various venues and the what does they try to argue in this article like well that can't be because obama only it's like just dumb it's low iq there's i is this the debunking that they do i read this and then at the bottom and asked why are they this is a good question yeah why why would anybody think this just and it does admit that there's the um gh's like his two conspiratorial speeches we'll get to the second one but it doesn't really make any sense of you know why these have to be in the movie and i'm sure obama's explanation would would pass muster with people but it looks to me i don't i don't read a lot of the mainstream press when i analyze these movies usually um of like movie reviews so i read press but i don't read the movie review stuff that much but it just looks like people don't really ask a lot of serious questions about Product. So they are watching it like friends, I guess, when they watch something like this. I think that's crazy to watch something like this. Like, I mean, I think it's friends is is a is an anesthetic, you know, right? This is more like, you know, this is this is more, you know, like some kind of speed concoction, right? Now you're you're getting agitprop and, and and a different kind of propaganda, a different kind of media psyop against you now. And yeah, you can long for the good old days of the '90s, right, when it was more anesthetic, um, right? Yeah, before it's interesting. This article says Obama focused on cinematography, character development, empathy, and disaster elements to make it a good movie. So all of the we should believe everything elements you say, are there to right? make it good, not terrify you of something coming down the pike. And I was trying, I was actually liking this film to kind of a 70s disaster movie where they always had like the Poseidon adventure or the the tower that burns down or the plane crashes. Like I was listing this, they have a boat wreck, plane crashes, plague, cyber attack, bombing New York, a blackout. What else is there? There's got to be something else. So they just threw it all in there for the, the ultimate like fear background. The tick, the, the tick, tick was my play. play yeah, biowarfare. Okay, you said that. Right. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just adding to, to what you were saying, right, right. You know, Brett mentioned this earlier about the the Kevin Bacon scene, but it is really worth um, emphasizing. This is a terrible movie. This was such a chore to watch. I hated it. I mean, like, you have the hip-hop song at the beginning, but, like, just tonally, it's all over the place like that, and, like, including with the soundtrack, but then just, like, it's trying to be self-aware in ways that don't work at all. It's trying to have this kind of horror theme and this horror feel to it in a way that's never quite earned. It never really goes anywhere. Like, this is a really really bad movie and part of why i think it's so bad is um some ways that the director was trying to have his cake and eat it too in terms of just being so explicit with the messaging having gh like look into the camera and deliver the movie's ideology on several occasions but when he's asked about stuff like the deer and everything like that um he talks about a lot about in interviews uh, about how he's trying to like make it very surreal and kind of dreamlike. And it's like, oh, you're not supposed to look at it logically and like acting like he's trying to do something very abstract and dreamy and surrealistic. 
when uh, when the messaging is just like so pointed and so it's really it's so it's just really a mess tonally that way and just very and and just very obnoxious and uh, you can tell he's just trying to get out of like telling you um uh, telling you the various obvious meaning behind this kind of symbolism by like pretending he's david lynch or whatever when he's not (laughs) with all the easter eggs it seems like he's trying to be you know uh, earlier, we were, uh, Brett was talking about how the attack on the young girl, the Rosie's consciousness, is one sort of insidious attack that is happening. It's, you know, a lot of these attacks that are mentioned by GH and all the possibilities are real things that are happening. And we oh, might get you, into that you can, Sean, all you have to do is look at the kids that are her age now. Yeah. They're under full-on psychological assault. Right. They, I know this, this generation. They think climate change is real. Oh yeah. They're never they're gonna be underwater in 20 years. They believe losers like Al Gore and uh Carrie right. who are totally about these guys have no shame for what they're doing to the kids. They know that they're being replaced, that a lot of the white kids can't get some of the benefits because they're being given away by oh. people like Obama. Um, they'll never own a house, right? And they'll never have job security. So they are mentally a wreck. That's why half of them are in like some kind of psychological therapy. It's all because of culture like this crap that they put out, uh, leave the world behind these devils who put this out. Like it's just infuriating. They have no shame for like the sanctity of human life, which is a perfect example of this whole shot thing, or just keeping kids um, out of this kind of stuff. They have literally no shame at all. They're all vipers. And they're totally evil. I have no patience for anyone for what they've done to the kids over this whole psyop with the COVID thing, which was totally unnecessary, and everything they came up with was totally politicized. But yeah, no, the, she's a good example of this next generation who are going to be. They're either going to go commit suicide, or they're going to be some of the toughest, hardest people this country's ever produced because right. they're going to be pissed. They'll be and like that's what happened in Germany. Sorry, I'm not done yet. No, that's no. what happened in Germany. You had. People who came through World War II, I'm not giving the Germans a buy on this, but came through World War II, hyperinflation, wreckage, uh, got blamed for everything, and they came back for another round of really bad stuff. And Hitler was an avatar for those kind of feelings. So these guys who write this kind of stuff, I literally, they should be the the consequence. These guys don't think past checkers. They're not very bright. But the consequences of their actions have reverberations through society, and the consequences you can look through history are not pretty. So I, w- I wish them well. I really do. Well, that's uh, that's for the female. Look at what happened to the male child. He was attacked by the bioweapon, the tick that gets him and then his teeth start falling out. So and like if we look at what the uh, the the injections have done to the males uh with their hearts uh, it's a more so it seems as though like they're they're giving the ones that will accept the media let them be in their bubble and the other ones we're going to kill them you know uh because he's smart enough not to watch friends you know well, the, um, the tick the tick go back to that the tick's uh, important because that's right. a limited hangout i believe there was a very good article in the <clears throat> I, the previous IM1776 uh, issue that Thomas and I published, something about this guy named Peter Paradise about 
Uh, I mean, it's a compendium of, of research, but I mean, it's it's pretty much the consensus opinion that Lyme disease was part of, came from these experiments where these labs on the East Coast, they were mixing all these different viruses and stuff with and tick-borne and then sending them out. And that's how Lyme disease was was created and probably a great many of these things, but they know that. So Obama's where they know that ticks were, were carrying fed-created diseases. Um, you know, it, so that's that's a bit of right in that hand. area too, Brett. That's where they did the at the Rock Island or something like that. They literally had a paperclip Nazi who was specialized in weaponizing animal viruses or something like that, possibly or most likely created Lyme disease. Like Lyme, I think, is a, a county in Connecticut, if I remember correctly. Right. And this whole movie takes place in Long Island, right? Yeah. I forgot. I, I forgot to add to the disaster the. Uh, Tesla car takeover, so like the robot robot takeover of that. So they threw everything in the mix in this one. So, Sean, if you wanted to go ahead, and then I wanted to revisit. I wanted to read for people like that speech about the three stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Order. Um, but yeah, go go ahead. I just wanted to revisit that before we. I just put our conclusion. I just want to say that yeah, it's it's true. The tick, uh, the ticks are the carrier, and they um, there's Project Mongoose where they were dumping infected ticks on Cubans. Like there's, it's been a long time, and then Nixon halted the project, and then ever since then they were doing uh, a bacteria with a virus with toxins all mixed together, but. Uh, the ticks are known technology that is usable and workable and Lyme disease isn't just in this area. Now it's spread all over the country, all over the planet. Lyme disease is, is happening everywhere. And it was, uh, it was intentional. This is, uh, an attack on the people. And it, it, when, uh, when somebody is injured, it'll take three warriors off the battlefield while they have to go and tend to the injured. If it kills the person, uh, then they just go to the battlefield raging for more, you know, with anger. But if they can debilitate us and make us all sick and still kind of almost alive, like Lyme disease is a neurological disease and it like it attacks everybody on different levels. And some of the ticks now don't just have the Lyme bacteria, they have like multiple bacteria. So you get all these other symptoms. It's like, it's really sick and people need to look into that. Uh, Chris Newby, K-R-I-S Newby, uh, did a book about Lyme disease. People should check that out. Uh, I think there's been inquiries in Congress about the origin of Lyme disease. So it's like, there's definitely, it's not getting a lot of press, but it's definitely being bandied about. Wikipedia says, it's been discredited, but whenever <laughs> right. that, you can expect the opposite. But is this movie, is this film an anti-white fever dream that this is how they want it to end as they look at you as kind of like milk toast and ineffectual and un, you know, uh, vibrant and that the kid, the male dies off, right? Or gets all his teeth falls out and becomes something. And then the girl becomes a mind controlled zombie attached to a TV. Is it a fever dream? Oh like yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I, I largely think so. I mean, like this is this is basically saying that like these certain populations who are not going to be on board with the globalist agenda, you are uh, you are disrupting Obama's kumbaya, you know, designs for the world of us all coming together under just like some again generic banner of of hope and togetherness, and therefore uh, you're you are aligned with these evil forces that are going to destroy the country. So essentially, you're disposable because you're on the side of evil. You're on the side of the wild that is returning, of the ferocity of nature that is needs to be tamed by the technocratic grid. Like again, I think this movie is less overt, actually, in some of kind of like the anti-white hatred, the anti-white racism than some other things I've seen out of Hollywood recently. Just because it's trying to like turn the clock on like leftist ideology, just like back a few years to kind of Obama stuff, as opposed to like kind of the the, the sharper edges to where it's progressed since then but uh but but yeah essentially it's saying like the correct function for the liberal white uh, netflix viewers of this movie is to essentially you know just get on board with the program that's the only worthwhile thing you can do with your life otherwise you are completely disposable yeah well no, note too he's a media studies professor too and I take that as meaning a few things. I mean, uh, one of them being like saying people who are trying to sort of decode the movie, right? It's saying that you're ineffectual as part of the psychological warfare. I mean, they realize that, but he makes, he has a line, I haven't written down it here about, um, basically about the sort of, he understands at a rudimentary level that there's a sort of feedback loop, you know, between, uh, he says, uh, oh yeah, he says media is both an escape and a reflection. Right. So oh, he, he prides himself that he has a complex view of the relationship between reality. I mean, it's not some sort of simplistic view that they're usually saying, but it's saying, you know, still he's that's kind of his character. Right. He's just he's he's sort of in between. He's ineffectual. He's, you know, um, uh, but about the, the the most interesting parts of the movie to me were the the conspiracy theory parts. Right. Where G.H. the first one you guys talked about. He talks about his powerful Wall Street client, who's some kind of defense contractor. Um, I noticed about why this movie was released in December and White Noise. You know, he mentions the winter solstice in that as part of the joke, remember? Because he says, G.H. Uh, says, I thought that only happens during the winter solstice. This is being released in the month of the pagan you know, winter solstice or neo-pagan winter solstice. Um, but the story, the last, the last part of it is just an over the top revelation of the method moment, I think, where he describes the kind of psychological warfare plan of which this, broadly speaking, like this movie is, is what it's doing. And so the, I'll just quote from the movie. He says, because my primary client works in the defense sector, I spend a lot of time studying the cost benefit analysis of military campaigns. Too bad they didn't study the cost-benefit analysis of the COVID lockdowns, by the way. But uh, there was one program in particular that terrified my client the most. So this is the most terrifying one. A simple three-stage maneuver, this is Yuri Bezmenov, right, that could topple a country's government from within. Um, if you just exchange constitution from government, you know, you've pretty much got it. The first stage is isolation. Disable their communication and transportation. That's the knocking out the grid. Make the target deaf as deaf, dumb, and paralyzed as possible, setting them up for the second stage. And that's what they've been doing in a broader way, just demoralizing the population and making them dumb. Right? Um, synchronized chaos is the next part of it. Terrorize them with covert attacks and misinformation. 
overwhelming their defense capabilities, leaving their weapon systems vulnerable to extremists and their own military. Where he says misinformation, because if you're terrorizing doing it directly, it would technically be disinformation. He must know that, but they want to deliberately confuse mis and disinformation like they constantly do to the public. So this is another example of psychological warfare, even in their uh, exposing psychological warfare. So it's revelation of the method. Without a clear enemy or motive, people would start turning on each other. If done successfully, the third stage would happen on its own. What's the third stage? Coup d'etat, civil war, collapse. Civil war coming out in April, right? On on cue, we'll be we'll be analyzing that. Sure. Yeah, this we'll be meeting again then, no doubt. And, he, and it ends. This program was the most cost-effective way to destabilize a country because if you target, if the target nation was dysfunctional enough, it would, in essence do the work for you. Whoever started this wants us to finish it. They're mad because it's not dysfunctional enough. Um, they're the ones crashing society. I mean, so I just, there you have it. Um, We're pretty the, dysfunctional though. I mean, our, our country is pretty dysfunctional. I don't know. Yeah, but for different reasons than these guys think though. Um, and it's also funny too with the, the kind of projection there that's going on about uh, about who's actually using these psychological warfare methods. Like, because the movie is like it's it's playing around with the idea of well, who's actually doing this? Is it Iran? Is it um, uh, is it North Korea? Is it China? Uh, is it Russia? You know, whoever. And it and it kind of just like leaves that very vague because the ultimate idea of the threat is well, the threat is within. We're dysfunctional. We we've got these elements in our military that might you know do whatever, whatever, whatever. But still, um, even though it kind of only plays with the rush idea and then moves on uh the movie is kind of hearkening again to kind of this like obama liberal you could say blue anon kind of rachel maddow fever dream of vladimir putin is mega hitler who is engaged in conspiracies to dominate the world because of course you know conspiracy theorizing is foolish or whatever whatever but it on MSNBC when they're taking you through how Russia is doing this and that and this and that and therefore that justifies you know all the grand globalist designs of NATO and everything that's completely reasonable and mainstream because it's on the approved television channel so that's something else going on here yeah the uh I'm glad that you you brought up that that speech because uh he mentions about how they already worked it you kind of mentioned it there yourself brett about how they already worked out ahead of time and we know about cyber polygon is the one thing and then we also know about the lockstep which was a piece of a other four part other like scenarios that they could choose from it was like a shuffle deck like oh let's see we'll do the lockstep one you know for that's what the 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 c word and that the whole uh you know the mind control pandemic that happened uh that so we know they have other things that they've gamed out and he talks about it like oh yeah they just you know they already had this plan that was bandied about like they're just you know all these defense contractors are like oh what kind of how do we f the world today you know how can we start a new war oh let's do this one you know and it's as if he's saying like yeah these are the guys the defense contractors that work with secret hush hush money from the pentagon <laughs> like are the ones who are really starting all the wars and doing all the missing for all the everything the whole spectacle you know uh but then again uh no one's in charge no right nobody's in control so they're it's two-faced it's janice yeah. tough yeah you're right. <laughs> definitely janice yeah 
One other thing I wanted to mention about the director, Sam Esmile, is that so it's uh, fascinating that he's known mostly for Mr. Robot. So I've never seen a single episode of Mr. Robot, so I can't comment in depth, but it's very well known as a, as a, as a popular kind of hacker-themed kind of dissociative identity disorder, just kind of like cyber thriller. And um, it's just interesting to see someone who's known for stuff like that just come out as just like such a stooge for some of the, the lamest aspects of uh, of the new world order you know just and he also as miles talked about he loves uh, the parallax view he's seen it very many times that's the first film that we ever analyzed with you william like a year and a half ago and like he talks about he keeps going back to that movie so it just goes to show that if you're kind of engaging conspiracy theory or whatever the all these top related topics through just like diving into media and you're just kind of fetishizing like mr robot and media like that does the decoherence of the world and the psyops and psyops and psyops and psyops you can think about that stuff as much as you want but if you're fetishizing the cast without a coherent worldview i would say without a coherent set of theological commitments to ground yourself you're just going to end up the biggest stooge for the establishment ever just like this guy does and he's also executive produced like a documentary years ago that was very pro julian assange all this kind of stuff so this guy like obviously fancies himself as kind of counter-established in some way with the media he aligns himself with so bitter irony to see him uh doing a project like this but i think i think it makes sense though um the sonic warfare theme here we haven't really really touched on so this is a big moment in the movie right they're under uh sonic warfare assault and i've i've argued um with, with some sort of background evidence, not always exact evidence in every case of a movie, but I've argued that some of these uses of sound in movies that are really jarring to audiences, um, you know, they they have as they have they have the intention, I think, of making you more impressionable and, and doing things to you. But I mean, I think this movie is is doing things with sound um, that it knows has effects on the audience uh, that they intend. And they're doing that in the context of depicting people under some kind of sonic warfare psychological assault. Now, sonic warfare is a major psyop. It's a major psychological warfare tool going back, especially to Vietnam, famously. Um, so it's depicting psyops. It's a psyop, talking about psyops, depicting psyops. And I don't know, maybe it's just... Um, a, a fool's errand, but I mean, I just sort of challenge uh, people who you know, are dismissive of um, suspicious readings of this to explain this, you know, when they watch movies like this, when it's doing it, if you talk to your, I don't know, if you talk to your friends and relatives, your normal friends and relatives, they watch this stuff on Netflix, like, say that, hey, this is psychological warfare, textbook psychological warfare, it's talking about it, showing it why, you know? It's very uh, interesting because apparently there's an extra audio track in this which is inaudible tones to induce like there's an article i found where um these i'm showing it right here sean it's right here right or at least i came across forbidden knowledge tv okay yeah, that's precisely what i've what i've learned in my research that it's it's sounds that are not audible that, are, that you can't hear they're not on the audible spectrum that influence brain states research is shown going back to as shown going back to the 90s to confirm it i think the government's known it for a long time the movie x-men apocalypse i know because brian singer said in the commentary that he recorded stuff off the audible spectrum um to be used in that in that movie which is very triggering and so yeah not surprised to find the same technique probably being applied here right 
and the uh i think that 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 main noise like that hurts their ears that is like in the the um the actual plot of the film that is on one of these extra tracks too so i don't know if that itself is a weapon you know but you got it right. This movie is a weapon. Right. A weaponized movie with weaponized audio. They say it's infrasonic frequency. This movie is an info hazard. We say it's an info hazard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally it. toxic. Wow. Incredible. Like you couldn't think they'd come back for something some more after they did white noise, but you'd be wrong. I mean, this is horrible. White <laughs> noise is just show. the beginning, man. <laughs> just for people, for the audio, it's a couple weeks ago, Bonnie and John Mitchell of Awakened Video went to download the video to their regular commentary. On Hollywood films, they accidentally discovered a sonic weapon embedded in the soundtrack track. In their editing program, they could see four audio tracks instead of the usual one stereo track. Moreover, they found that one of these four audio tracks is inaudible to humans because it's entirely in the infrasonic range. So there's some kind of subconscious assault. Crazy. Right. And we know that infrasonic sound can affect our insides. You know, it can make us do all kinds of things, like what Brett was saying, uh, mind control. So it can also raise the tension, you know what I mean? It, it increases the tension of the film as they, they apply the sound, like, uh, scientifically to create tension, and uh, it's just another tool for them. Right, and if you're watching this on Rockfin, you can watch the, uh, the video on Rockfin. Or X, it's also streaming to Twitter. Um, but you can see this is the downstairs area with the picture that we were, or Sean was talking about, this United States of Attica 1972 fifth Ringgold. So it's almost like they're showing to one side of the audience in this kind of downstairs basement at, uh, area, the kind of hidden symbolism that's in the hidden to a lot of people but maybe some people who are familiar with this wouldn't be hidden at all you know so it's kind of it's not explained right it's not explained in the film is it i don't remember do you guys know no they they didn't really get into that they uh they there was speculation that the sound was connected to the tick bite and uh if you look into further there's like uh there's uh smart dust and stuff that can be you know, uh, can infect you, it, and that can be uh, you. Then outside signal can affect that, and it, it that can in, uh, change your internals as well, your internal uh, processes. They so they have the sound element in the film, and then an infrasonic sound in the film too, right? So it's just so exactly. It's like 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 white noise. They have the toxic event in the film, and then they have the toxic event outside my window. <laughs> um, I uh, there's one thing at the end where the the um, prepper guy says to the people, "Oh, you don't know about chatter. You got to read deeper than the first page of the newspaper." And uh, I just wanted to bring up what what I noticed a long time ago in 2016 i used to deliver papers bundles of papers to stores and i got to see the front cover of all the major newspapers and on january 1 2016 was this uh if you'd click that there william the bbc.com 
was a burning tower in Dubai. And this thing, it was like it happened. Everybody was in front of the courtyard waiting for this tower. They were going to shoot off fireworks. And the whole building went ablaze. And this is like it's on the cover of all the American paper. Like, what the heck? Why are they showing this? And uh, then I recognized, oh, yeah, that's the 16th Trump card. Oh, and then I recognize that's the signal that they're putting out to all of the other people that are going to move around their money <laughs> because Trump is the, the 2016 Trump, you know, the 16th Trump card is the tower, which represents the destruction of the old world order. And that's what Trump did. He ushered it in like he gave us the warp speed. You know, he was Fauci was working for him. Uh, so uh, that's just uh, sorry. My dog is making noise. Again. Warp speed with the anti-corona, right? The uh, Alice Bailey symbol of it right there in the middle. Like, right. Incredible. incredible. Yeah. They, I mean, uh, so it was a military attack on the people. And you know that, William, with your uh, extensive series uh, that you've done about uh yeah, by Weapon Blues. I had to stop. Yeah. It was too grueling, man. It I don't blame you, dude. I don't blame you. But um, maybe next year we can revisit it around Thanksgiving. You know, do another. But uh, but so this like the the page one of the newspaper, they do give good information there, but you got to be able to read the signals, right? And that's the heads up that they gave us for the Trump election. You know, um, if we had the eyes to see, like I did, I was blasting it out on Facebook and everybody doesn't listen to me there. And they're like, whatever, you know, I didn't have a show at that point. And I, but, you know, I noticed it, I was telling people and um, I, I spoke about it with our mutual friend, uh, William Freeman fly. I went to the free your mind thing and I saw him there and I was like, Hey, look at this, you know? And he was like, Oh yeah. The, the tower that didn't fall down from fire. Right. And it, you know, because of the nine 11 and all that. Um, and he's had this long, he's been saying this a long time that they've been demoralizing the president since Clinton. Like they talked about him inserting the, the cigar and the secretary and they got his purple face on camera. So embarrassed, you know, and like, Oh, and like, so that was demoralizing there. And then the next president was given to us by the Supreme court. Like he wasn't even elected George W you know, and he was there for nine 11 because they needed him at the helm for that whole debacle planned, you know, problem. And so then after that, they had, this hero hope and change you know give him the peace prize and all this at obama who was there for all the years and everybody's like yeah we saved it the, you know no more bad government and everybody trusting the government everybody's into the you know whatever goes on we can bomb as many people as we want whatever obama bombed more people than any other president and then after him was like that dude was Obama didn't ha uh, wasn't even born here, you know. He wasn't a uh, American citizen. How did he become president? Right after the last one was just given to us by the Supreme Court, you know. And then the next one after that is Trump, you know. And Biden's just holding the is like a placeholder for Trump to come back again with like a 
a huge well mallet to totally take down the tower. <laughs> and what do we think about Trump Tower, right? The tower card. Like it's so uh, and his name is Trump. It was a trumpet. It was like Gabriel's trumpet that took down the Tower of Babel, right? Like it's it's been in the works all this time. And now Obama's movie is like giving us like, oh, we need to get rid of America. It's evil, guys. It's the great Satan, remember? And and then once Trump gets elected, all the people are just going to, I mean, who knows? It's like a, I don't know. It's just black. My, I don't, I can't see the future, but it's, it's not going to be fun. And I think that once his, once he's in control, He's the foil, you know, the heel. Uh, they're going to blame it all on him. He's going to, you know, and then they can have their, what they plan on this destabilization and total destruction of America so that the new world order can, can you know, just walk in and take Hamlet's crown and put it on their head and be like, okay, now it's global world order, you know. So yeah, I, I think the the flat out like well, are the anti-Christian or the flat out Luciferian world. There's a tipping of the hand of of that worldview toward the end of the movie when Rose tells the story uh, about the man who thought he was obeying God by not accepting human help. And this is really it's a Weasley Spielbergian way of mocking faith in God, you know, of of you know undermining that faith in an effort I think to transfer it to to man in the form of technocrats and tools like Obama, you know, um, who want to control how much electricity you have and, you know, what kind of car you can drive and, you know, herd you into a smart city and, you know, mother earth may not be happy with you. If you, that's the closest thing to sort of deity they, they, they believe in. But, and the other thing too, right. Is that she's, that's a happy ending is that she's like seemingly permanently going to abandon her family. Um, you should leave your family. You're wiser than your parents. That's like white noise too. Um, that, that was very some of that kind of I think it's very generational warfare programming. It's in keeping with a you know a pattern of of family of of parent child portrayals that, that Hollywood's kind of, kind of standard in Hollywood. But um, you know, and the the ending. So part of the the ending, she's she's in a uh, you know she's in a bunker, and you can't help but connecting that, and she's just going to retire there with you know in a kind of otaku bunker. And that's you thinking of the the COVID lockdowns, right? Well, this was written supposedly before, and then it's published in October 2020 in the midst of the lockdowns. And the the author Ruman Alani tweets a cap a picture of the book with the caption, "My book is real now," as we would say, invoking this feedback loop between reality and media. And by the way, he's born in Washington D.C. So this, I mean, it's no wonder the Obamas came on later. This psyop, I do think it. Or so I think it, ended, it originated independently of the Obamas. I, that's a that's a red herring in that that article to try to get you off the path. But so you think of her, yeah, it's saying that look, the next time we have, next time we just tell you to go home, you know, hey, just go home, go down into your your bunker. It's gonna be fun. You got snacks and uh, you <laughs> you have uh, you know friends and uh, you know enjoy it. It's, it's great and have the home. You have your. Uh, uh, does she have on, do they have on, um, you know, those toxic lights running all the time and the low hum and yeah. Yeah. Sitting in your toxic 
cage <laughs> while the deer take over, you know. And that's like part of the agenda 2030 is the rewilding too. And, you know, um, it's funny. They make fun of like the prepper guy, but really he had the right idea in the end. And uh, that's, you know, they had to rely on the prepper guy for their blue pills. Like that's a depiction of all preppers are worried about once it happens, everybody's going to come and try to take what they have. And that's, you know, that's why we need guns. <laughs> that's not really i mean we're we really have to worry about the government with guns that's why we need guns but but in any case uh this it's like the rewilding and the 2030 is it's all of this fits in with that agenda and um if they were to disperse ticks into the wild that are toxic it would scare people to stay in their homes and not go on the and part of rewilding is to cut off the highways exits like they're gonna remove exits of the highway and just take the roads out and just let the the nature take over again and that's just like the cars were blocking up the highway you can't escape through the highways you know um and it's a learned helplessness you know oh i can't go outside i can't do it. i guess i can watch Buffy the vampire slayer and whatever else was on the shelf there i mean it was like scary and she just smiles, you know, you own nothing and be happy, right? What is happiness? Like Obama talks in that other thing, like, oh, if I got a fridge full of food, then I'm happy. Like they don't care about working forever for nothing, you know, being a slave to this system. And, uh, um, it's really sad what they're putting in our brains. Yeah, a final comment that, I, that I'll have is that I think that there's an interesting desperation to this movie. Uh, you can kind of tell. So, like, I agree with a lot of what you said in this kind of narrative, Sean, this historical narrative of the last few decades of American politics, although I do tend to think that there's some genuine component of a, a war in hell, so to speak, of genuine conflict between factions of elites going on. And if there is some kind of meta plan, at least on a demonic level, that incorporates incorporates all of these negative impulses into the same bad trajectory for humanity. I really do think that people involved with the kind of Obama, Biden, World, World Economic Forum uh, faction of, uh, of globalism do actually share so some of the things that they're trying to impress upon people with these slides in terms of the hysteria about nationalism or about kind of factions that someone like Donald Trump might be associated with. And so it's not to say that it's a good thing because like who knows something worse could be coming down the pipeline or just the chaos could be really damaging but i do think that a movie like this is kind of this um this desperate cry to hold together the kind of coalition and false unity in the name of liberal globalism that um that obama and his successors and that people that he's involved with are really really committed to and the fact that the movie well for one like we said is just done really poorly just as piece of cinema and just again just like seems to be there's so much frustration behind it and the talking points seem so tired it makes me wonder like yeah there's a possibility that it works and that 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 faction of the elites really does maintain their global power and we get psyops from them but i leave open the possibility that a film like this the propaganda being this obvious and this lame 
goes to show that we might be either looking at a different faction of elites coming into power, a different set of psyops, maybe more sophisticated ones, maybe ones that have better short-term consequences but worse long-term ones. I don't know. Um, but the movie seems to be really trying to hold on to a kind of global unity plan that at least a few of the elites seem to think are slipping. And I, yeah, I just wonder what's coming down the pipeline, but we'll see. So the if people haven't seen the movie, there's a whole bunch of frames, a whole bunch of shots where you have the the boy, Archie, I think his name is, with an o Obey shirt on and Rose with the NASA shirt on. So you get over and over, Obey NASA, Obey NASA, Obey NASA, Obey NASA. And I, and I can tell you because I, uh, the uh, uh, nonprofit organization Thomas and I work with, like looking into Hollywood DC connections, I know from talking to the media people at NASA, you have to get permission to use, you're supposed to get permission, and certainly this production would to use the NASA uh, logo. So NASA didn't have, a, I'm, I'm, I'm concluding from that, that very probably NASA gave them permission. And, um, but also I wanted to add, there, there's more occult, it's kind of obvious occult things in here. I mean, it starts on the number six on the coffee mug. I mean, what is, What's the number six on the coffee mug? I thought um, it was 76. There was two different is it 76? Yeah, yeah. I think it relates to... Oh, 1776. I'm sorry. Yeah, so, and they take the Highway 76 to get to where they're going to. But go ahead. Ah, yes. Okay, that's... But you know, I over I was you did a great job on this, uh, Shambo. I did a pretty. I mean, I had to just do it once over, and this we're working hard on our taxi driver episode coming up. But the eye, the the repeating eye pattern in the house, not just in the credit sequence. Also, a giant crystal, like a giant quartz crystal in the house. Also, back to the monarch thing. Look at the emeralds that um, that's always worn by Julia Roberts. Like. You know what's with that's very prominently displayed in a lot of shots. Fruit bowl, you always get when you get the fake fruit. Watch how these it's like always these red apples. Like, look, fake fruit, fruit bowls in your house. Don't you have like other things like bananas? And there's always the red apples, so they always give you that. But pillars, I think, framing hawk in this this outdoor scene that he's just shot with these pillars around him. I think it's a Masonic reference. I think there's. And we could talk about it. We have talked about Ethan Hawke a little bit in previous episodes, William, or in Scanner Darkly. But I mean, people should look into Ethan Hawke's brain. His first movie is The Explorers, which is another um, possible space mind control movie with River Phoenix. That was a as a child, was a child actor, and in a lot of lately, he's been in a lot of these psyopy, um, these psyopy movies. Um, he's about to be in a production called The Devil Is Real. By the by the way, if you look this up, no, wow. not the devil. Excuse me, Satan is real. It's called Satan is real. Even better. Um, it's about these these countries, but I mean, he's just in a lot of super sus stuff lately. And if you pepper throughout his career, I don't know a lot about uh, about Hawk, but um, yeah. Uh, I. I can say a few things about the other producers involved, just a few things. I mean, I looked into what these other people have done and a few things sort of sort of stood out. Um, let's see. So co-producer co uh, Peter Cohn's credits go back to like the late 70s. Actually, his first credit is Ridley Scott's debut film, The Duelists. You know, uh, and he's got like a third assistant director on that. But beginning in the 90s, he does a lot of he has a lot of assistant director credits, actually, on DOD supported projects. 
In the Line of Fire, The Devil's Own Rendition in 2007, had an ex-CIA advisor. Um, he was the assistant director on Alan Pacula's The, the Pelican Brief conspiracy movie. Pacula would die. The Devil's Own is also Pacula, which is the last movie he made. The guy who made Parallax, the guy who made all these conspiracy movies dies by having what, like a, a pillow or something go through his windshield. He goes through his windshield like what? Right. Yeah, right. Nice try. Outbreak. He's on. And the remake of The Manchurian Candidate. He's also among his production credits is Air Force One, which is so a lot of DOD connections. Um, executive producer Daniel Stillman was production manager and associate producer of The Bourne Legacy and line producer on Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Associate producer Diane Wood worked on that recent NWO PSYOP, Don't Look Up. So oh, it's all... So they're a happy family over there. Um, I mean, the girl, Farrah McKenzie, I don't follow Hollywood all that closely, believe it or not. I, I look mostly into the reverse, into the rearview mirror of Hollywood. But um, so I don't know her, but it says, you look, I, I, I know these kind of tell. So you go to her IMDb bio and it's written by, a, I think it does say it's written by Persona PR. So it's written by a PR firm. Um, but you can tell that kind of her career is, is planned out this, uh, this year actress on the rise, Farrah McKenzie is positioned to take the entertainment industry by storm. And so she's actually third generation Hollywood. Um, it's not because of her talent necessarily that they can know that. Um, and she's has some interesting credits in her short career. She was in that utopia series with John Cusack, which was predictably programming the coof. And she's in Ascension, Possession movie. Um, one other, maybe this is more obscure to people, but it really stuck. I mean, co-producer Adam Brightman goes back to Abel Ferrara's New Rose Hotel, which is an adaptation of a William Gibson. Errol, Abel Ferrara is somebody we talk about a bit. And he also, co he also produced Zero Day, this obscure movie from 2002. Not a lot of people know about it. It was a school shooter movie. It was one that came out around, around the same time or right before Elephant, the Gus Van Sant movie was sort of the super indie underground version. Interesting that this guy who was involved with this underground-ish movie about school shootings uh, is, is involved here later on in his career. He's, he's gone on to good things. So that was about all I had in terms of the, in terms of the background, all the notes that I made. I mean, one more thing, a comparison, the, it's not as heavy in this movie, the kind of eco themes it's there, right? We, we brought on all these problems partially because we're, you know, not in the right relationship to nature. Um, I, people don't seem to talk a lot about um, the movie The Happening from 2008, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. And just, yeah, quick spoiler alert, like everybody's killing, it's Omega, it's what we call mass Omega program. This is like a subgenre, like everybody's killing themselves, like Bird Box, right? This is one of those movies. Everybody's killing themselves. And it turns out what's doing it is the plants are emitting some pheromones or something, you know, because people are, you know, bad, nasty, dirty, they're destroying everything. So the plants, it's like a, the Gaia or something has this, this survival reflex to emit these, these chemicals to make everybody commit suicide. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, but it made me think of, it made me think of that movie. And uh, I heard there, there are many people talking about like now that, we got global warming the ice caps are melting and we're gonna have all these weird diseases come around like I, I, that's one of the narratives i've heard of this um it, you mentioned about being you know a part of the brotherhood or whatever uh just before gh gives that last speech at the end he stops and he says i want to make sure you're on the level 
Like that's Freemason talk, right? You know, if you're on the level, you're in the club with the Freemasons and then you can hear this information, right? So that's a big factor. The, would anybody have anything to say about the, the obvious shot at Elon Musk, right? Tesla's malfunctioning and crashing. You can't trust those, those Teslas. Yes, we need total technocracy, but no, Elon Musk is, is not your man, kind of, is, is one of the... Also, I think it might be taking a shot at, at people like Anthony Lewandowski, the big driverless car engineer that, that Trump pardoned, who's very much in Peter Thiel's orbit. So I think above... Musk, they're kind of going after people like like Teal and that whole circle of influence, and they're trans. Teal and Musk are, are transhumanists and they're futurists of a, of a stripe. Um, but yeah, they're they're not. Everything's not well in in paradise between all these people. I think there really are sort of rifts in the establishment you're seeing with that. Yeah, I mean the, the the Musk thing is important to note because that's a common tactic with these more politically themed recent films. I did a Patreon. Episode for Cyber Cinema on Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel, which had a ton of monarch and Illuminati symbolism. And then just like, again, just, I mean, it's probably even a worse movie than Leave the World Behind, honestly. But just like the, the whole thing was a shot at Elon Musk and also in Blade Runner 2049, which um, Brett and I recently covered um, on uh, on Cyber Cinema. You have the Jared Leto character there. One of the main inspirations for him is Elon Musk. And so this is one of the things that I was talking about uh, earlier in terms of there being kind of actual factionalism within, uh, within people who have um, elite power on a global scale is that uh, some of the people associated with films like this and a lot of other major hollywood propaganda i mean this doesn't make elon musk necessarily a good guy or peter thiel or, or donald trump or whoever but there is genuine friction there and a common tactic is to use the kind of musk style uh, promethean transhumanism as a foil for them to promote their own form of kind of anti-human ideology and i also think the tesla scene in this movie was the one good scene in the movie like that was kind of cool just the cars ramming into each other like uh, i kind of perked up at that moment for like a couple minutes and then the movie resumed being terrible after that well that that is an underlying fear that we all have of like a driverless car you know i'm scared enough driving riding a motorcycle with people that have their hands on the wheel like it's really scary out there on the highway and if there's nobody behind the wheel like uh, that's uh, that's a fear that i have but um you know i think that that's also like it's a message to the viewer oh you think that these these cars are going to save you in an emergency like good luck you know we control them and we'll block off your highways like you really this is no escape you know, it's further into the trap if you accept their battery powered car that only, you know, that it, it does run on coal power. <laughs> like, anyway, yeah, I think it's like telling us, like, don't put your hopes there. You know, this is it's a dead end. Right. That type of technology. Go back to the bunker. <laughs> get, get in the bunker. Keep your mouth shut or you're going to get some disease. All your teeth are going to fall out. Guys, we are at the two-hour mark. I mean, you guys did a great job and opened my mind up to a lot of the things in the movie I missed because I watched it when it first came out. But there's a lot that uh, you guys really talked about, so you did a great job, as usual. Uh, maybe you guys, if you want to summarize or sum up uh, your analysis or anything you'd like to add or anything I missed or anything you'd like to just give and also kind of what you're up to. I know you covered a little bit of what you've been 
guys have been doing recently, but if you want to expound on that, that's fine as well. Who wants to start? Anybody? Sean, you want to go? Yeah, I guess I'll go. Uh, I, I've got uh, a super secret project in the works that I'm very, very excited about. And uh, so keep an eye out for that. And I've got some good shows. I just spoke with Loomis, uh, our, our mutual friend, William, uh, from Chant It Down. Uh, we talked about the homeless problem in America and that how that is demoralizing and how that's, you know, it's a symptom of deeper issues. And, um, you know, we talk about that. We've both lived homeless in the past, so we could talk firsthand, you know, um, but it wasn't sad for me anyway. But anyway, and I have some other shows. I did a really good one with Nathan Reynolds, who is a uh, is a SRA victim from a bloodline family. And he actually talked about uh, Hollywood movies being a trigger for him. And some of the programming is even in the ads and like some of that really interesting. Uh, that was a great show on Wake the Dead and everybody can find it. Um, I also uh, you can find everything. If, if YouTube erases me or if anybody else erases me, you can find me at onegreatworknetwork.com slash Sean hyphen McCann. And uh, that's where I post everything. And I've got a T-shirt store. I've got a donation button. And thank you so much for inviting me today. And and I'm glad that we could have all the people here together. It was really, we knocked it out of the park. This is great. I think so. You guys are awesome. Great job. And great job, Sean. Thank you so much. Thomas or Brett, would you guys like to add something? Yeah, sure. So I, I think we've summarized what's going on with the PSYOP pretty well, so I won't retread that, but I'm really glad that all four of us could talk about this. I mean, we've all collaborated so much. It's great to, to get us all together for this conversation, but uh, at over at PSYOP Cinema, we've got a lot of stuff that we're working on. Brett mentioned that we're going to have an episode on Taxi Driver coming out soon. We talked about Taxi Driver a little bit um, over a year ago in some of our initial Joker Cycle episodes, and we're kind of, but we've been putting a lot into this forthcoming uh, Taxi Driver driver episode that'll be kind of a capstone for this like year and a half on and off of joker research that we've been doing at least for this initial stage of joker cycle research we'll pick it up in other formats and other other threads in that um of, of that same theme in the future but people can look for that we'll be uh at some point act doing some uh some other films that came out more recently including oppenheimer is an episode that we have uh planned and we have a ton to say about that we're continuing to do our terrence malick series with stephen De delay uh william i'm really glad that you've had uh steven on your show a couple times those have been great episodes um otherwise people can uh look for written content for uh from us including in uh, im 1776 magazine the most recent issue of that on the topic of counter-revolution we had an essay uh called rejecting the revolutionary red pill where we talk about the kind of gnostic red pill psyop and then also uh, online at im 1776 i'm going to have an analysis of mulholland drive coming out um, fairly uh, fairly soon, and I've been putting a ton of work into that, so I'm um, looking forward to seeing uh, seeing how, how that turns out. But yeah, at CinemaSyop on Twitter, syop-cinema.com, and patreon.com slash syopcinema for bonus content. Awesome. Thanks so much. Brad, is there anything you'd like to add or finish up with? No, that's about it. I mean, I'm working on a Monarch episode on Doppelganger, which is... Uh, um, which is a Drew Barrymore film directed by an admitted Israeli intelligent agent who made another Monarch film. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be another rich vein of, uh, 
yeah, I've never heard of that material. Movie. Yeah, I've never heard of that. I'll look forward to listening to that. When was it made? When was Doppelganger made? Uh, well, it was released when it was made and when it's released are two different questions. I think it was released in '93, but oh, it looks sorry. like it was made and shelved back in '91. I mean, it's it's really, really, really bad, but it's very, very strange. It probably only makes sense that it exists just as a <laughs> to be a monarch movie. Actually, it's such a blatant one. It's one of those that's that's near the top of the near the top list, and the fact that it's it's directed by a guy who's actually an admitted or you know was quote unquote you know a, an Israeli intelligence operative agent um yeah I, I think is and who did another movie called time bomb uh which is like around the same time 91 which is about a guy who realizes oh, I'm like an MK sleeper you know and his programmers come just a pretty pretty blatant um MK monarch movie too so he did those kind of back back to back he also Anyway, I'll get into it. But yeah, that's what I'm working on, along with all the stuff Thomas talked about. And uh, yeah, I can't really add anything to to our analysis of of, of this movie. And um, thanks for having us on again. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. And you, all three of you guys collaborated on, what was it, Beyond the Black Rainbow? What was that director's name? Who's the son of a famous... Anos Cosmatos. Anos Cosmatos, that's right. And then you also did the Altabelli. I listened to that one. That was really good. An analysis of the Altabelli... Hollywood tapes, whether they were legit or not. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Albertini. Albertini. Albertini, Albertini sorry. Albertini. Richie Albertini, yeah. yeah I wish you could get Richie Albertini on, on the show because he is the kind of insider we're, we're talking about, right? Somebody who lived the underworld of Hollywood and, and can testify to, to some reality to some of the stuff we're talking about, you know, ritual, satanic sacrifice, a blackmail kind of initiation ritual type stuff. But I wish you could get him him on. We're trying to contact him and and talk to him too. He seems to talk to independent researchers sometimes, but he's a little hard to get a hold of. But hmm. I'll um, give it a shot. You know, or do a show. You I got to mix up with Alta Belli. I think that was the guy who owned Cielo Drive. Manson. Albertini. Yeah. yeah so I got mixed up. But yeah, those are those are great episodes. Maybe I, you guys can send me a link. I think you got the, he Thank talks you. about it on Rumble. I think the original audio is on Rumble of Albertini too, right? Right. There's a bunch of videos that are up on BitChute. Also, well, I found some on BitChute, but he's he's talking to various people, like showing this is the house where uh, Green like shot the dude in the head and ate the brains, you know. And he's like talking about it, just like matter of fact, into the camera. It's very interesting, and so he would not be afraid to say what's what's what on your show. Who knows if he's telling all the truth? You know, you can take that for what it is, but some of his stories kind of uh, mix right in with with the movies that we see. Like in Pulp Fiction, the dude gets shot accidentally with a bullet to the head and like brains, and they had to hire somebody to get rid of the body. Alec Baldwin helps to get rid of the body. And then Alec Baldwin is now getting prosecuted again for shooting somebody accidentally with a gun. Like it's very, the layers go deep. It's very, yes. Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> But they have the ring of truth. Like these are stories that have been bandied around. There's tons of cover-ups in Hollywood. The police are owned in Hollywood. That's a known kind of fact. So strange things happen. Very powerful people, and I mean that goes way back decades, all the way back to its inception of weird cover-ups. And uh, you know that's how you own people. It's like a blackmail thing. If you get help, if somebody gets in trouble, and the producer comes in and fixes everything, that's your he's your guy forever, right? So I think that those are those stories are really are real, and the, the rumors about Eddie Murphy and those those are those have been bandied around for a long time outside of Albertini and things like that. So, I mean, to me, that was just giving credence to 
some of these rumors. But uh, guys, thanks so much. Great insights. I missed so much in this movie. I got to watch it again. But again, for people uh, in the audio, you I will put links in the show notes so you can just click through to Thomas and Brett's PSYOP Cinema. They do an excellent job film analysis. And I've had great guests. Uh, some of the guests I've had on, just like Stephen Delaney, as mentioned. And then also Sean McCann, too. Uh, you can check out Wake the Dead. So I'll put links to that. And again, we talked about Leave the World Behind, and it just came out on Netflix late 2023. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, William. Thank you.